Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Church, how we doing? Good. Can't tell you all didn't get an hour of sleep last night that you're missing. We'll be feeling it about one o'clock, though, won't we? Yeah. Hey, uh, my name's Austin. I'm the pastor here, and we are continuing. We're going to go into week two now of a series that we're calling I Am. And in this series, what our hope is, is that all of us collectively, but also individually, we would behold the Lamb who has taken away the sins of the world. And we would just catch our eyes up to Jesus, and we would just fix our eyes on Him, get captivated by who He is, who He said He was, and what He's done, and that we might just grow in our relationship deeper with Him. And that's our hope over these, next, um, over these next seven weeks now. We're going to be unpacking the I am statements of John. Um, we, we talked about last week how in those statements, in the very just nature of the way Jesus said these things, he didn't just say I am as in uh, announcing a title. He said, I be, I be. And he was calling himself God. And it was this uh, scandalous statement that he was making to draw our attention back to what uh, God said to Moses in the burning bush. And that was all last week's sermon. I don't have time to recap it, so go back and listen to it if you have a chance this week. But this week we're unpacking that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And if I could unpack this sermon down into just one sentence, if I, sentence, if I could kind of distill it down, it would be that Jesus did not just come to give you bread to fill your stomach. He came to be bread to satisfy your soul. And that's all, that's where we're going today. And so I'm going to read out of John chapter six. I considered just reading the whole chapter because it's all so good. I just considered making you sit through all 71 verses of it and we just read straight through it. Um, But I kind of picked some chunks uh, that we'll unpack specifically today, but we are going to read a lot of scripture and we'll get there in just a moment. Um, But before we get there, um, really the, the book of, or the chapter six of John breaks down into three primary sections is kind of how I see it. Uh, there's a section that unpacks the miracle, which is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and we'll talk about that more in just a second, but then it goes into, Jesus goes into the sermon and the sermon points back and explains what the miracle was. See the miracle feeding the 5,000 was just a sign. And the sign was meant to point us to the son to Christ. And so he starts to unpack it in the sermon, but then the sermon doesn't just end the chapter. The chapter actually ends with an invitation, an invitation. And so we're going to walk through these sections today. And as I do, I'm going to present a, a ponder point, maybe something for you to personally consider as we navigate our way through the book of John or chapter six, the book of John chapter six. And uh, before we, before we open it up, let me just tell you, I don't think it's any surprise to any of you. Like I, I love food. I just do. I love food. I feel like I talk about it frequently with you all. Uh, but let me tell you, there is, uh, even, you know, even as I've gotten older, my palate has matured more. I, I even have come to like Brussels sprouts. You know what I mean? Just with a little salt on there, maybe a little bacon mixed in. It's just so good. Uh, but there is a category of food that I, I hate. Um, really, it's a whole category. And it's the, it's the kind of food that you, you, you take so much time to prepare or it takes so much time even just to eat, but really it's like, why, why am I doing this? I'm not getting any substance out of this food. The, the classic example out of this category would be artichokes. Like people who eat artichokes, they're just like, oh my gosh, this artichoke's so good. Like, look at the meat on this leaf. I'm like, there, there's no meat on that leaf. If there was meat on that leaf, I'd be interested. But you're just like eating parts of leaves over and over again, all for what? For what? 
I'm convinced, and this is just where I'm at in my life, that uh, most vegetables at this point to me are just different vehicles to get different dips and butter into my body. <laughs> so that's just where I'm at. Um, where am I going with this? Okay, the point of this is, you know those cereal puffs that you feed your kids when they're really little and, and you feed them to them and you give them to them as a distraction, but not for substance. And so I don't know if you've ever looked at the nutritional content of that little puffed cereal container, but it's like, oh, one serving is about 115 puffs and there's 18 calories in that serving. And you just feed them to them over and they're great as you're going through the grocery store. If you need your kid just to sit still through church for a little bit, you just are like, here, eat this, eat this, eat this, eat this. But it's terrible for substance. It's terrible for nutrition. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at today is there is a kind of food that satisfies you for a little while but only I am the food that will satisfy your soul for eternity, for eternity. And so let's jump on in. We're gonna be looking at John chapter six. Um, we'll start here in verse 25. Um, so I think most of us know the feeding of the 5,000. Um, it's 5,000 men sat down and, and most scholars and historians would agree it's somewhere between 10 to 20,000 people and they all show up to this field. They're all following Jesus because Jesus is starting to get a little more popular in his ministry now as he goes around. And they're following him because they've heard of the signs and they've heard of the healings that he's done. And so they all gather and, and Philip um, is like, Jesus, I understand you want to feed these people, but he kind of goes into mathematician mode and he's like, like, we don't have enough money to feed these people. Jesus would take, you know, he starts crunching the numbers and stuff. And, 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 and Andrew is, is bring, brings a boy to him who has five loaves of bread and two fish, right? You know the story. And Jesus says, sit down and, and let's eat. And, and I think an interesting point in the story, it's not really part of my sermon at all, but, but I think God is much less interested in what we think that we don't have. And he's always willing to do something if we bring it to him with our little. So don't let you bringing your little discredit what God might do through you. Because here's this, this little boy and he brings five loaves of bread and two fish and Jesus feeds all 10, 15, 20,000 people. It doesn't really matter at that point. Like he feeds an incredible amount of people with like a number one meal from Chick-fil-A. That's all it takes. <laughs> he hands it all out. And, and when they're done, you, you know the story. They gather up 12 baskets of bread for the disciples to take for each of them. And then where we're going to pick it up is the next day. And I can only imagine the next day after waking up after a miracle like that, where Jesus is just done. It's, you can imagine just kind of the, the chatter with all these thousands of people. Right, so I don't know how you read the Bible. I, I try and get myself into the story and imagine what it's like to be there. Like, I hope you don't just read it like a newspaper. Like, I hope you don't just sit down and go, okay, what's, what's the daily happenings in the Bible today? That, that's fine, but really, like, get yourself into the story. Imagine what it was like to be there. What was being felt, what was being experienced. And I can't imagine, like, waking up after a miracle like that, and you're like, what did he just do? Did you, did you see that too? And you start chatting, and it says that Jesus had hid himself from the people because he didn't want them to make him king right away. He could tell they were going to try and make him king by force. And the reason was because the Jews were looking uh, for, for the Messiah. They were looking for someone to make a king, a powerful king. And they'd heard of the healings. They'd heard of the signs. And he can multiply food. That's my kind of king. You know what I mean? Like, get him in here. We can do this. And, but Jesus retreated. He disappeared. And so they wake up and they're looking for him. They find him on, in Capernaum on the other side of the sea. And it says in verse 25, this is where we'll start. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, 
but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And so this is ending the miracle portion of the, of the chapter here. We're ending the, the miracle where God just fed all these people and they're coming back to him and they're going, show us another sign. And the question I think for each of us to ponder in this part of the, in this part of the passage is to, to ask ourselves, why do we come to Jesus? Why do we come to him? Are you just looking for him to do another thing? Are you just looking for another sign, another miracle? You see, I, I've heard Francis Chan say it this way. Um, if I could read a transcript of your prayers, and I don't want to, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to read a transcript of your prayers. But if you could read a transcript of your own prayers, and you could just look back and see, this is what I've prayed for. Have you just been making requests to God? Have you just been presenting to him the things that you don't have and the things that you need? And I, I need a new car, God. I need a new job. I need a new relationship here. I need, I need. And I want to say there's, there's a space for that for sure. The people came to him seeking another miracle. They didn't really come to him seeking who he was. They came seeking what he could do for them. Jesus will be made nobody's errand boy. I think it's just worth pointing out here. Jesus will tolerate you coming to him looking for a sign. But eventually the kind of faith that he wants to move all of us into is a faith that doesn't look for what Jesus can do more for us, but what he can do through us. And we start to get involved and we start to go out and we start to do. And we ask Jesus to empower us to advance his mission. Not sitting here complaining and praying and asking God, would you do, would you do, would you do? He will hear you, but we also need to learn to pray and to mature in a way that we go, okay, God, what can I do now for you? All right? So that's kind of the first point here. They come looking for another sign. And, and the sermon is only meant to, to, to be the substance of what the sign points to. So like if, if you and I were to get on I-25 and we'd start driving towards Denver and it would say Denver and 43 miles, the sign is insignificant if the city isn't there behind it. Do you know what I mean? Like the sign is worthless if it's not actually pointing us to something. And so what Jesus is starting to point out is he's going, hey, it's not about these miracles. It's not about these signs. All these signs are pointing to something. They're pointing to me. So I just kind of spoiled where the next few verses are going, but let's read them anyways. Picking it back up in verse 28. Then the Jews, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. It's almost as if God doesn't want us to take any credit in our own salvation. He just wants us to receive it, to not be able to boast about it, but he just wants to say, hey, this is my gift to you. What do I need to do? You believe. You believe, and in that belief, it will create a doing out of you, but all you, you, don't, you, don't, believe, you don't do to earn it. You don't, you don't work to earn the faith that's given to you. You just receive it. You just believe. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's interesting. They weren't satisfied with one meal. They wanted 40 years worth of meals. If you remember, Israel, the Israelites were fed for 40 years by this stuff called manna. And it was just this stuff that they gathered. It was like, uh, like all I can picture it as is like a Krispy Kreme donut. They picked up off the grass and it was sweet and it was filling and it only lasted for one day. It's important. It only lasted for one day. It would spoil after that day. It lasted for two days if it was the day before the Sabbath, which is a cool trick. I don't know how it happened, but God did it. And it's awesome. But 
I hope this maybe even changes our perspective a little bit. If you ever pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That prayer is not just for provisions. It's not just for the things that we need to get through our day. It's going, God, would you give me enough of yourself to get through this day? Give us this day our daily bread. They're asking for 40 years worth of bread. It feels a little bold to me, but they're going, man, you know, like Mo, he fed us in the wilderness for 40 years. That one meal was cool, but what you got, Jesus? Like, what can you do? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, we're sold. Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus kind of looks down at the chessboard for a sec. He goes, checkmates, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We're going to keep going. Stay focused. Stay dialed in. So the Jews grumbled about, about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're like, bro, we've seen you in diapers before. You just going to say you came down from heaven like that? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus from here goes into goes into a lot of talking about how you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And this is a super hard thing for the Jews to process at the time because we get the, we get the benefits of looking back in hindsight of God already establishing the Last Supper. And he's established communion. He's established that sacrament. And so we know that we come to the table taking the bread, taking the cup, and reflecting on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But they don't, they don't know what's happening yet. And so this is a hard thing for them to understand. Jesus sounds like a cannibal. They're like, it sounds crazy. But it all makes sense in just a few chapters. Now, I want to pull us all the way back up to verse 35, where Jesus first says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, I don't know if this is true about your Christian experience, but for me, in my walk with the Lord, I still get hungry and I still get thirsty. I'm talking physically hungry. Like about 11.30 this, like during second service, I'm going to be seeing all these people, but in my mind, I'm going to be tempted to be thinking about tacos. <laughs> and that's just what happens on a Sunday morning. Like I'm hungry, I'm thirsty still. So what is Jesus talking about here? 
It's important to note that that word life, I am the bread of life, is not the word bios, where we get the word biology. He's not talking about a physical life. He's using the word zoe. Zoe, it's, the, it's this physical and spiritual, this abundant life that only God himself offers to us. So it's very important to know the difference in those two words because he's not just saying, I've come to give you life just to keep, you, keep your heart beating. He's saying, I've come to give you this Zoe life that keeps you alive, but also gives you something to live for. And so he's talking more than just being hungry and thirsty. He's talking about what our soul longs for, what our deepest desires really are in our hearts. And, and, and I wanted today to kind of pull this off of the Bible for a sec and actually look at a humanistic psych, psychology perspective. Uh, because while I might, I, I, I might, I definitely disagree with, disagree with the roots of humanistic psychology that, that trusts that man is in, inherently good and, and longs to do what's better for themselves and for mankind. Like I've just, I've had three kids of my own. I've been around myself long enough to know well, that ain't true. I have a two-year-old right now. And if you want to hang out with her for the afternoon, you're welcome to. Like the whole world revolves around her. She's sure of it. And if she's in this adorable little phase right now where if you don't give her what she's asking for the moment she asks for it, she just screams at you. And so we're working on that as parents. Pray for us. Um, so I disagree with humanistic psychology that says we all kind of have these like this cuddly, rosy approach towards humankind and ourselves. Uh, but I do agree Maslow has a hierarchy of needs and Maslow is kind of the father of this humanistic psychology approach where it's quit looking at the negative, the negative uh, behaviors and trying to alter behaviors, but look at the positive things that intrinsically exist in humans. And so I actually believe I have this worldview that allows me to think that Maslow, even though he was an atheist, he was still made in the image of God. Sorry, dude. Like you still were, you were made in the image of God. And so everything that your life's work is gonna to point to is gonna somehow be redeemable in the finished work of the cross. And so I just wanna run you through his hierarchy of needs because I think it, it absolutely fits with a biblical hierarchy of needs. So the first one is physical. We all have physical needs. So we all have to eat. We all have to drink water. We all have to go to sleep at some point. We have these physical needs. And the way this hierarchy works is that once this level, once this tier is being met in our lives, then and only then are we able to move on to the next tier. Okay, so the next tier of Maslow's hierarchy goes to safety. You could also call this comfort. And so once we kind of have our base level physical needs met, then we strive to build out comfort and safety for ourselves. So we get ourselves a house. We get ourselves a 401k. We get ourselves some relationships that make us feel comfortable, that make us feel safe. Once we have that one, we move on to relational needs. Every single person in this room has relational needs. You have the need to be known. You have the need to be loved, to feel accepted. You have those needs. But again, you're gonna have a hard time getting into your relationship needs if you're, if you're starving. And so this is how it moves down in a hierarchy. The next tier that it goes down to is esteem. Every single one of us on some level, some might be more important than others, you need to feel esteemed. You need to, be fe you need to feel valued. You need to feel respected for the things that you do. You want other people to notice what's going into the work that you're doing. We want to have some sense of esteem. But the pinnacle, the ultimate thing that this is all pointing towards is this idea of self-actualization or transcendence. And transcendence, what psychologists would say, and, and the approach that this takes here is that every single person, what you ultimately long for, and I've been to enough funerals to know that this is true, is that all of us long to build something in our lives that outlasts ourselves, to transcend all of these needs and to, to be known to have a legacy that we leave behind. And so what Jesus is pointing at is that 
You have needs, and they go beyond your stomach. They go beyond your need for water. You have this need. You have these things that we're going to turn to in our lives to fill this hole that's inside of us. And what's tempting is to turn to your money, to turn to your spouse, to turn to your job, and that's how you long to fill the hole that's in your heart that longs to be known, that longs to be valued, that longs to be respected, and to build something that's significant, that's meaningful. And you're going to turn to, and the danger is that we would only turn to these things. And, and I, uh, Howard Croft was a beloved elder and member here for years, and he passed away recently. Many of you were at his funeral this last Tuesday. And and here's what's incredible. As I look through the needs that all of us have, Howard had all those things. Howard had every, I mean, he had, he had the relationships, he had people who loved him, he had, he had money, he had comfort, he had a wife who loved him, he had, um, he had people who stood up at his funeral and shared stories of how his life impacted their life still to this day. And, and all this beautiful stuff was shared about Howard, but, but what's so sad about humanistic psychology, what's so sad about the funeral you've been to where all of that just rests on the capacity of that person is that it all fades. It's all hollow. Every single one of these things could be taken from you in a moment. There's not one thing, I don't care how much money, how, many, how tight your marriage is, I don't care how, how, how much the people at your work love you. It's all fragile. It's fickle. And it's only going to last a certain amount of time. And so to sit at Howard's funeral and hear that all of those things, because they're not bad things, they're all real needs that we have, But when you listen, the message that was shared at his service was all of those things found their rest and they made sense on the cross of Christ because he he could carry it. Because Howard had tasted and seen the Lord. He knew him. And so all these things now get to find their rest on a foundation that can hold them. You see, because the problem with all these needs is, is if we put if I put all of my soul's needs onto my spouse, if I put all of my soul's needs onto money, all of those things are fragile and they can't bear the weight of my eternal soul. But Christ can, because he came to offer us the bread of life, life, abundant life that would, that would outlast. Don't labor for that which perishes, labor for that which lasts forever. And so the question and the thing for all of us to ponder in this portion, in the sermon portion of this chapter is what kind of bread are you striving for? Are you striving so hard for bread that fades, bread that's temporary, bread that's fickle? Life is a vapor. It's here and it's gone in a moment. Are you putting all of your security? Are you putting all of your hope? Does all your peace stem from these fragile things? Or have you put your trust in Jesus and now he puts you He puts your feet firmly on this rock that isn't going anywhere because he can bear the weight of eternity for you. See, because what's awesome is as a Christian now, I get to come and I get to stand on what Jesus has done for me. And I get to to get my hope and my peace and my acceptance, my belonging, my purpose all comes from him. And now all these other needs, I can rationally make sense of them in the right priority order. So they all kind of fall in line once I know who Jesus is. And I I can earn money at my job. But but money money does not have my heart. 
God has my heart. Christ has my heart. Money doesn't, money doesn't capture me in that way. I don't stress about money in that way. I don't stress about relationships in this way because I know that Jesus is the one who affirms me. Jesus is the one who loves me. He's the one who values me. So I don't turn to relationships. I don't turn to finances. I don't turn to all these other things, that, all these other needs that we do have. And my goal of transcendence is not to build something for myself that outlasts me. I get to help participate in building God's kingdom here on earth. And that's going to last for forever. And so that's what transcendence can healthfully look like as we approach this correctly. But again, what is the kind of bread that you are striving for? You put all your stock in your own health. You can eat all the fruits and vegetables you want. You can't stop a diagnosis. But if you put your trust in Christ, he's purchased eternity for you. And that, just like the passage, do you not hear in the passage, there's nothing that the Father has given to Christ that he will lose. If you've been given to him, he will care for you. He's got you. You're not going anywhere. And you might say, God, you're not meeting my needs, but Jesus is going to say, it's just because you didn't need that. Let me show you what you really need. And so let's carry on because the last part of this passage, I think, is the most powerful. John 6, 66, kind of weird, three sixes. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. John 6, 66, it's the, it's the number of man, number of evil, and it represents thousands of people walking away from Jesus at one time. So Jesus said to the 12, he turns and he looks at the 12 remaining. You gotta imagine, there's thousands of people here. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Thousands of people just stood up and walked away from Christ. He turns and he looks at the 12. He says, do you wanna go? You going as well? Simon Peter answered him. Love this answer. I give, I give Peter a hard time and rightfully so. Like he has, we, I think we all do, right? I think if we're all gonna get to heaven, he's just gonna collectively kick us all in the shins one time. Because he says some stuff, right? He kind of has some insert foot and mouth moments along the way. But this one, he, he just nails it. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter just goes, where are we going to go? What, who else would we go to? There's this verse in Jeremiah. I want to read it because I think it's, it's serious. It's heavy but it's so profound and so valuable for us. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Listen to this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've committed two evils. They've forsaken the Lord. I mean, they have, they have t they've experienced, they have seen God do these profound, incredible things and they've forsaken him. And how they got there, like it still kind of baffles me at times. They've forsaken the Lord, but pay attention to this next, next one. And the fountain of living waters, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, they've forsaken me and they've turned to these broken, worthless idols that can't hold the living water I want to entrust to them. We do the same thing. You say, oh, I, don't, I don't worship any carved idols. Like, I hope you don't. That's, that's a good thing. But we do get caught up in the worship, uh, worship of money. We get caught up in the worship, worship of esteem. 
keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with what other people are doing around us, trying to play this game in America that we're all creating and trying to participate in where who's doing better, who's got more, who's got what. And we get caught up in these things. And if we're not careful, we can turn them into idols. We can turn them into worship. I think it's Spurgeon who said, the human heart is never idle in making idols. It's just, we're always after it. We're always after it. And so the invitation today remains the same. Who else are you gonna turn to? Where else are you gonna go? Every other thing, we've already been over it. Money, the, the relationships, the jobs, all of it. It's these broken wells that can't hold living water. And so the invitation to Peter, to us, are you, do you wanna walk away? Do you wanna keep turning to these things? And Peter says, to who else would we turn to? Where else would we go? We're here. And, and I was brushing my teeth this morning you know, mouth is like full. And Katie's like, what do you want the Lord to do today? Like this big question, right? Like as my mouth's full. And I was just like, honestly, my hope, I think this message is, is really easy to preach to those who do not know the Lord. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I just wanna say you're on a hamster wheel that will never end if you're just trying to amass more wealth, more value, more security in all the things that are found temporarily here on earth. And the only thing that's gonna give peace to your soul is by putting your faith and trust in Christ and if you believe in him, what he's gonna do is he's gonna rework, he's gonna reorient, he's gonna change your heart so that you might find peace, hope, and belonging in him. And that's the only thing that's gonna satisfy your soul. He didn't come to give you bread, he came to be bread for you and for me. But I think the greater message, since most of you, I know most of you, you've made that decision, you trust the Lord, what do I hope that he might do for us today? I just hope that we might change just a little bit in keeping our security, keeping our hope, that we break free from the anxiousness that comes from putting all of our stock in our health. Like, do you think the world is anxious right now? Look at, look at the amount of toilet paper that's left at Walmart. <laughs> There's none. Apparently people just started using it for the first time. Like, I, I don't know how that happens. But with all this stuff of the coronavirus, I'm not saying we shouldn't take it seriously. I'm not saying we shouldn't wash our hands. We shouldn't be careful. If you, like, listen to me. I wasn't even planning on saying this today. If you have a fever next week, you, you're not gonna prove your toughness to us by just muscling through it and getting to church, right? Like if you're sick, stay home, wash your hands, come in here. We'll, we'll watch it. We'll be careful. We'll, we'll pay attention to what's going on. But, but the anxiety that's in the world right now, just the thought of catching this thing Man, do we not just put all of our stock in our health? And as soon as that, as the moment that begins to get threatened, we freak out. There's this panic button that's hit by everybody. And I just want to say for all of us, God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's what we're called to. That's what God is offering to us. That's what eating from the bread of life looks like. Someone who can look at a chaotic, broken, fallen world and just go, I have peace and I have comfort because my Savior has offered this bread to me. And so that's my hope for each of us. I want you guys to stand up. I'm gonna pray for you because a lot of this, every week, I, this isn't just head knowledge. This isn't just, oh, okay, I got the facts now. I can walk out of here and I'm changed. It helps. 
But this is a spiritual thing. This is something that we got to beg for the Holy Spirit to do this revelation in our hearts that we might see that God is the, he is my portion. He is the only place that my soul finds satisfaction. And I'm going to pray right now that God would spotlight in your heart somewhere that you're turning to that's not him. Something that you're turning to in this world that does not, will not last forever, cannot satisfy, cannot fill the need that you have in your heart, in your soul. And so I want you to pray with me and I don't want you just to listen to me praying, but I want you to actually like think about what I'm saying and pray along with me that the Holy Spirit by his grace would gently reveal something to us and that we might all the more be able to behold the Lamb might be able to just fix our eyes up at him and realize that he is our source of security. He's the source of our substance. He is the portion of our soul forever. Pray with me. God, your people, we're all here right now. And we just ask God with an open heart that you would gently, faithfully, and lovingly reveal in our hearts a spot where we're turning to for security, for hope, for affirmation, God. Show us the things in our life that are causing us to be anxious. Test us, Lord. Show us right now if there's any offensive way in us. Our hearts are open to you. We want it because ultimately we know that you're going to show us those things by your grace so that you might turn our eyes, turn our behavior towards you. So Jesus, we're here right now. We just, I just ask that as a church, as individuals, we would fix our eyes on you. That we wouldn't get anxious the way this world gets anxious. That we would have a hope. That we would have a peace. That we would have a joy that's so deep in our hearts, God, that other people look at us and they take notice. What an awesome time. What an awesome time to show the world what peace in the midst of a storm looks like. And God, I pray that you would infuse our hearts with that today. That we have that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and our hope ultimately belongs in him and our the everlasting life, the Zoe abundant life that you've came to offer us, God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.